Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, good morning, good Sunday morning. Good Sunday morning. So welcome to our second episode of Speak Life, speaking to the next generation. Um, We are going to have a sensitive topic today. Um, We're talking a little bit about trauma, but specifically sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and some of the impacts of sexual abuse. So if you're ready, let's get into it. Let's get into it, but let's get into it with a prayer. So I agree. I agree. Let's let's do this prayer. Go ahead, Robin, because you do it so well. <laughs> All right. So Lord Father, we just we just thank you even now for the opportunity, oh God, just to speak to the next generation, oh God, and even to share our stories, oh God. We thank you for the purpose and the assignment that you've placed on my life and Sherry's life, oh God, but we're praying even now that as we share our story, it shall be a blessing to those that hear, oh God. So we pray even now that you would have your way in this uh, episode, Father God, in us and through us, oh God, and just do what you desire to do even now. So we thank you and we praise your holy name and it is in the name of Jesus that we say, amen. Amen and amen. All right. So first, let me just say, guys, if you knew all of the struggles we had today trying to get this episode going, (laughs) um, I said this is nothing but the enemy because we have been literally now over an hour trying to get this episode going and we've had issues linking we've had issues with microphones i mean just a ton of issues so this has to be a message that probably needs to be heard Mm -hmm. i definitely agree with that i think you know when we know the message from god needs to be sent out somebody um can be touched from what we're going to share um the enemy don't want to see anybody happy you know And so, but, you know, to God be the glory. And and this message is going to get out. And, you know, as you said, Robin, it's going to be a sensitive topic today mm-hmm. um, as we go into sharing our own personal stories. Um, so it's, it's going to be sensitive. It's going to be something shared um, that that'll get some emotions stirred up. And, you know, I just say to the as you're listening, if it does trigger something in you, um, you know, to take care of yourself. I think in this episode, we will provide you with um, some very good therapeutic tools. We are both Christian women, so we always go back to pray. Um, so and, and lean on, on people that, you know, can love on you. Um, if this episode does give you some sort of trigger and feeling and emotion, bring back some things for you. But um, as Robin and I are clinicians, we're still human. We're still women. We're still beautiful Black women. Um, and, you know, God put it, put it on our heart to share our story um, so that others can heal. And so also we... we do our own healing as well. There's nothing that we don't ask of clients that we aren't willing to do ourselves. So without further ado, I'm going to let my sister in Christ, Robin, um, share her story. 
and then I'll share mine. All right. So um, for me, I was sexually abused at eight years old and I was sexually abused by a family member. Um, Growing up, my mother worked a graveyard shift at the hospital. So her time to go to work was usually about three o'clock in the morning. So therefore, there was a particular family member that had to keep me for her. Um, More so kind of like on the weekends. Um, If um, I wasn't with my dad, I mean, I was with this particular family member. Um, As we, um, Sherry and I talked, I was like, man, we we are really exposing some stuff in this Mm -hmm. session. So um, because our families are listening too, but. Uh, so I would go to this particular family member's house and, um, I had older cousins. And so, um, because of the timing, this particular family member that was asked to watch me, I would have to usually get in the bed with one of my older cousins to sleep at that time. So I had a particular older cousin, female cousin, and usually I get in, in the bed with her, um, and I'd be fine. Um, but when she was not there because she was older, she doesn't like, she didn't like anybody in her room. So you know how that is. You get a teenager, young adult, you don't want nobody in your room when you're not there. And that kind of is how she was. So my, um, particular family member would say, okay, well go get in the bed with one of the boys. Mm -hmm. Now the, uh, the boys were between the ages of 17, 18. I can't remember their exact age, but somewhere around there. Um, and I do believe this particular um, family member, I honestly don't believe that she thought that this particular family member would do anything to harm me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm a young girl. He's a boy. Um, he's an older boy at that. So I would mm-hmm. go get in the bed with him. And initially at first it was nothing, but then it started off, began to start with inappropriate touching. Um, and then in Eventually, over time, the inappropriate touching actually in um, turned into penetration of me. Mm. So um, I remember even, um, and again, guys, I know this is kind of graphic, so I won't go into too, too much details. But um, like I said, it did turn into penetration. So it happened on more than one occasion. And it ended up stopping because I remember being about between the ages of 12, 13, somewhere around there. I think I may be 12 or 13. Um, On this particular night that my mom had to work graveyard, she was like, you know, get up, let's get dressed, ready to go. And I was like, I ain't going over there. Mm -hmm. And um, she was like, you're not going to go over there. I said, I'm not going over there. And she was like, "Um, well, what are you going to do? Stay here. And I was like, yep, I'm going to stay here by myself. (laughs) Stay at the house. Now we didn't stay in the best neighborhood so I'm not even gonna lie I was afraid to stay at right. home by myself too but <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not going over there I'd rather stay at right. home so I Thank ended you. up staying at home and that's kind of when um it all kind of ended but it's so crazy I remember my mom asking me at one point when I was younger I don't know if she could tell a difference in my walk I don't know what it was but she uh did ask me she's like something happened to you did somebody do something to you and um and I was like no 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 nobody did nothing and I did not share with her at 
that particular time because her, I think I was more concerned for her. And the concern for her was um, this woman or particular family member that was, she trusted to watch was like a friend, a sister, Mm -hmm. a mother, like they had that kind of close of a relationship. Right. So um, because of that, I wanted to protect her. And it's amazing how we are young and we're the, the victim of something, but we're still concerned about, you know, our parents. And sometimes even concerned about the victim. Well, if yeah. I tell what's going to happen, for me, I wasn't necessarily concerned about him. I really was concerned about the relationship that my mom had with this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and allow Sherry to uh, let Sherry sh- share her story. And then we're going to break down you know, the impact of sexual abuse, how it impacted us. Um, we're going to go into some interventions, um, some things. If you're someone out there that has experienced it, you're in it, you know, here's some tools that you can begin to do the healing process or maybe even give you the courage to say something to someone. Go ahead. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being brave enough to share your story. Um, you know, you can share it and share it again, but it, I, in my opinion, it, it's never, it doesn't get easier to share the story. I don't mean, I don't care how many times you, you have to share it um, because it's your experience. You can heal from it, but still sharing it, um, it, it still hits you. It may not affect you as much as you're healing and using the interventions and the tools, but Um, it still has an impact on you. So I want to just say thank you um, for being brave and sharing. And you as well, Sister Fran. Yeah. (laughs) So um, my story is is similar in in that, you know, I also was molested by a family member. Um, I was very, very young. Um, I want to say between the ages of five and six. And in my particular case, um, it, it was a family member's house that my mom and I would frequent quite often um, just because they were close. They hung out. Um, we would go over there for family gatherings and things like that. Um, and as I recall, you know, what happened to me, I always get the vision of the white T-shirt and the white underwear and the vision of this person actually using his t-shirt to make sure that the door was locked and getting on top of me and basically just humping me. Um, And so for me, my mother, she was the single parent for the longest. And I always say it's my mom and me against the world. And we were very close because I was the only child for 10 years. Um, So I always had that protective factor over my mother as well. Um, And my mother was always that lady and still is to this day that will ask if somebody did something to you, um, you better tell me because I don't have a problem or, you know, just very much so. I'm on high alert with that, not having, you know, me to sit on men's laps, things like that. She is very particular about that. She doesn't like that at all. Um, And so it's, it was still that, that sense of 
fear on a level of, am I going to get in trouble if I say something? Um, because the fact of the matter is it, it felt good to me. And so that is where I felt guilty. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that it felt good. And so I thought that I was going to get in trouble um, if I were to say something. And so I, I didn't. Um, and so I just basically continued to, uh, you know, endure this until it stopped. And I don't even remember when it stopped, but eventually it stopped. And I would actually still go over to these family members' homes um, for different functions and things like that. And even to this day, um, just when I mentioned or even hear that family member's name, it always reverts back to when I was, you know, a little girl. And so I, I realized in that, that that experience opened up um, a cesspool of emotions for me. And I began to act out in a promiscuous way. And it definitely um, caused me to act in a way that I believe I would never have acted if that Pandora's box wasn't tampered with. So for me, I began to act out. I humped just about everything. And then I felt horrible because I thought that I was this alien that basically was just different from everybody else. I just thought that I was the only one that had this experience that wanted to do this, even though I didn't want to do it. And I just felt um, isolated and alone because even though my mother was very diligent on making sure that I was safe, um, it, it did slip through the crack. And not only that, it was that, that basic fear of, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I said nothing and it just caused chaos in my life for the longest. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's um, just a little bit of, of my story. And as we continue on, I can explain how it, specifically how this situation just caused a lot of turmoil in my life. It's so interesting too, when you said, um, well, two things. One, the two extremes of when there's been sexual abuse. Um, I think for me, I was very rigid. I was very um, guarded. Um, didn't trust guys at all. So to me, everybody was a bad guy. I have also witnessed domestic violence um, with another family member. And I think that also added that uh, that belief, that core belief that all men are bad. You mm -hmm. can't trust them. Oh, and yeah. so for me, it became that, well, you use your, your, your looks and your, mm -hmm. and your um, sexuality as a way of means to control. And I'm going to call it that Jezebelic spirit. Okay. Uh -huh. That's uh -huh. what it is. Um, when you're using that as a means of control 
Um, and for me, it was like, I look good, but you can't touch. So I never, you know, I was kind of, um, very guarded with men, very standoffish, very protective. And I became very protective of myself. The other extreme is when you said, um, you were promiscuous and that behavior. And I remember working for Department of Juvenile Justice Mm -hmm. with girls who have also been sex trafficked. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times there has been sexual abuse and there has been some sexual acting out. Um, So there's the two extremes and neither are healthy for us because it's not healthy to be guarded. And of course, you know, but we do what we do because what is that scripture? Um, don't awaken love before it's time. Right. Um, so we were too young to experience some of the things that we had experienced, Mm-hmm. Um, I would say too, a lot of times when we're looking at sexual abuse, people tend to focus on simply the behavior. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the wilding out, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh, she doing this now, or she's absolutely. doing that. And she just flipped the script, but there's been a mm-hmm. lot of changes in behaviors. And that's a red flag for parents. Like something is going on. Right, exactly. Uh, and, you know, just to that keeping on the behavior topic, you did mention, we all just look at the behavior. If you're a parent and all of a sudden you're noticing your your child is acting out and not listening, um, just doing crazy things. I know for me, I, I did some outlandish things. I would uh, go places I knew I had no business going. I had this idea that I was grown before my time. You know, even if I didn't say it out loud, it was like, I'm, but I'm grown, I'm grown. And I always say I'm misunderstood. I just, I had a smart mouth. I was sassy. And, you know, a lot of people can say, oh, well, you know, that's hormones, that's normal development. But Let's look a little deeper at where this is all coming from. I always like to say, let's pull back that layer of onion and get to the core reason of why things are happening. People are doing things for a reason. They're not doing it just because. And so, you know, personally, I would just, I would go, I would see the guys and I would say, okay, you know what? I'm going to do you before you do me. Mm-hmm. And that was my motto. I'm going to do you before you do me. That way I'm in control of my situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then still feeling horrible afterwards because I didn't want to be labeled some of those names that, you know, we've heard people say, you know, yeah. I don't want to be a poor, I don't want to be a slut, but that's exactly how I felt. And sometimes I really felt that my mother thought that of me as well, um, because she was really strict on, you know, focus on going to school and bettering yourself. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to be out here and and get pregnant and have a baby too soon. And, you know, she was really, really she she drove that home. And no matter how she said it, she drove it home. And a lot of times she said it in a harsh way where it was so hard to receive And again, it went back to, it's my fault, I messed up. So, you know, the more I received those messages in that light, the more I just turned and just like did the opposite. 
And I just, I was on a spiral um, for so long. And I can just remember getting yelled at, getting grounded. And none of that even mattered because nobody took the time to stop and try to get to the core of what was going on. And a lot of times people say, well, why didn't you say anything? So the burden has to be put back on the victim or on the child, right? Mm-hmm. And we sometimes say, you know, well, you if you would have said something, but what do you expect the child to do, right? Let's look yeah. at elemental stages and you want a child to, to come forward and say something. And yes, you can put that in a child's mind. You can teach a child to say something, but at the end of the day, the child is the child and um, you have to not be careful not to blame the victim of something, especially if it's a child. So, you know, as far as behavior, so you, you name it, I did it. And I knew I was just the cutest thing ever, <laughs> but I used it in the opposite way that you did, Robin. Yes. Yes. I think for me, um, that became my power, my control. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I look good, but you can't have it. And that was something that made me feel like I'm back in control of my body. I get to say so. And even though I look good, you can't you can't touch. So that was kind of my powers, very rigid. And you said a couple things too, um, that oftentimes the um, blame is put back on the victim. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about a young child, I think the challenge too for parents, I'm, I'm going to say even I can see the challenge for parents um, because um it is difficult to tell a parent. Absolutely. You know, when we go back to, you know, why didn't you say anything? Uh, Like I said, and you said, I think I was protective of my parent. And I almost kind of, even as we're talking about it, can connect because I'm a parent, you're a parent. Uh And saying, you know, I'm sure a parent is wanting to know, well, how do I, what signs, what do I say? Um, because like you said, your mom said, if something body touches you, tell me. Mm-hmm. My mom said the same thing. There was even a time where my mother knew something was different because I remember her saying, did somebody do something to you? Mm-hmm. Because she was noticing behaviors. I think something in my walk or something uh, mm-hmm. she noticed, right? A little girl and here you are having this grown uh, young adult male yeah, I'm sure there. I was walking differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. Um, but here I am, I'm saying no. So I almost want to say, you know, for the parent, it's almost like, well, how do you know? How do you engage your child when you know there's something different? And I think um, just an answer to that for a parent that may be listening, um, because I know I've had parents say to me, this happened to my child or whatnot, and had some of those conversations. I think what I would say is keep asking. Absolutely. If you notice something different and you see it, mm-hmm. keep asking, whether it be a light conversation, you don't have to be annoying, um, but maybe just, you know, I'm noticing some things different about you. 
Absolutely. Um, I want you to know that I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if anybody tells you not to tell me. I don't care if somebody tells you they'll do something to me or the family if you tell. I am in the adult. I can take control of this problem for you. Mm-hmm. Just tell me and then we can talk through what to do. But I think Absolutely. the key is keep asking, especially when you sense and there's something. Keep mm-hmm. asking. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be back to back, this aggressive. You better tell me none of that. Right. Um, but just uh, I'm concerned. Um, and if somebody is telling you not to tell me or there's a place you don't want to go, maybe even say that. If right. is there a place or a house you don't want to go to anymore, then mm-hmm. that's okay. You don't have to go there. Absolutely. Um, so I think those are some of the things as a parent, if you're listening, um, that you can begin to ask, that you can begin to say, you don't want to go over there anymore. I'm not going to make you um, mm-hmm. do that. And, and, and um, yeah, just kind of in your own gentle way, keep asking. What would you say, Sherry? I would say, know your child as well. Know your child. Pay attention and know, and when I say know your child, that means know how to deliver a message, know how to ask the question. And things like this are very, very difficult to come out and just verbally say. So you have to start thinking outside the box with things. Maybe perhaps, you know, uh, writing a letter to the child or giving that child the option to maybe just write it down for you because maybe they don't have the words to say it verbally, but they can write it down or they can draw it or they can use music. So give options to your children um, because it's something difficult to actually tell the parent. And also, if you are suspecting Um, that something has happened. I would say for parents to make sure that you take care of you. Lean into your support because you're definitely going to need that support when that time does come, when that child comes to you because you don't want to have a meltdown and a breakdown in front of that child that is now taking the time to be brave enough to come to you with some heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you are in a very healthy place in that you're leaning on um, whoever that is, pastor, um, if you have a therapist, if you have a best friend, lean into that person because you're going to need that support because your child is going to need that support. So definitely those are just some things that I would suggest to parents if parents are out there listening. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, Sherry, um, the impact of sexual abuse on us emotionally, mentally, and physically. And I would say the first thing for me emotionally that it did to me, because when we talk about um, sexual abuse, I feel like the first thing and um, that occurred was the enemy just literally put his hand over my mouth and I began to literally like internalize every feeling, every emotion. That eight-year-old little girl me mm-hmm. learned to you hold these things in. Mm-hmm. 
and you don't tell anybody. And literally from eight years old until probably that 11, 12 Mm -hmm. um, year old girl that was like, I ain't going over there. Um, But even I'll be honest, even through my young adult and adulthood, when I was really experiencing things, I internalized. I was really good at being there for other people. Right. Mm hmm. Commit, you know, helping other people and being there for other people. But when it really came to what was going on with me, that feeling was internalized. I didn't talk about it. It was very uncomfortable for me to be vulnerable about the things that I was facing. Um, and it's almost like a behavior that I taught myself emotionally. You mm-hmm. hold that in. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. amazing because even throughout my adulthood, Um, again, this is how these things impact us subconsciously. I didn't know that's what I was doing, that I learned to internalize my emotions. Right. Yes. I, I totally get that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I feel that again, it's so funny that God brought us together, but it's the opposite spectrum for me, because for me, it was almost like filling that void. I had a void that needed to be filled and I filled it in every unhealthy way possible. I um, befriended people that didn't deserve my friendship, my time, my energy. Um, I entered into intimate relationships that um, became violent. I am a domestic violence survivor. Um, I what I, I had the most deplorable low self-esteem one could even think of um, having a sense of no worth at all um, just feeling inferior and less than all the time and not just as a little girl I mean that we, we talking about well into the 20s late 20s heck even in my 30s and and so you know, it's just mind-boggling how um, an incident can contribute to how you you start viewing yourself. I, you know, can remember times when I would share things with people thinking that they were my friend, and I would go in and I would share and tell all my business, and all my business would be out in the street and I'm sitting there looking dumb and stupid because of course these people will be sharing things with me, but I valued what people shared with me and I Mm -hmm. kept it confidential. And that again did not happen. So for me, this incident triggered, I, I didn't have a sense of awareness of who was healthy for me and who wasn't. Um, right for me in my life. And I just basically just collected people. I just called them just, I just collected people. And I just, all these people I had in my circle, that's spirits that I'm letting into my life too. And I, I paid for some of that. And, you know, I just, I can just remember um, being so out of control, being homeless with my kids at one point. Um, and, and just basically, just just really being out there. It just really impacted me so much. Um, I viewed myself as fat and ugly. 
because food just became a good friend. Um, I just felt like the weight of the world was on me. And no matter what I did, nothing was going to be right. And just basically, you know, just really just instead of self-love, self-hate. Yeah, I get it. Um, Going internal with all of my emotions. Um, I had a lot of friendships, but it still feels lonely when you feel like you can't Mm -hmm. share what's really going on with you, what you're really feeling. So I had that sense of loneliness and I was an only, I am an only Mm -hmm. child. So being an only child, internalizing my emotion, I think I always had the feeling of loneliness. Um, I think the other impact when you talked about relationships and you said you are in some domestic violence relationships, um, I think that's the other thing that sexual abuse impacts our intimate partners. Um, For me, I held on to probably the healthy, unhealthy relationships too longer than I should have. Um, and I remember um, being with um, my daughter's father, hate to kind of put this out there, that was cheating on me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just held on to that relationship. Even um, as growing up and my friends are like, he's doing this, you need to get let it go. And mm-hmm. it was like, I held on because it was safe though. Right. I knew him. I knew him since we were kids. So it was the relationship that felt safe for me, Mm -hmm. even though it was unhealthy because there wasn't that faithfulness and loyalty. Um, But it was like, you hold on to this relationship because you've given yourself to this person. Now, Mm -hmm. once I did allow myself to um, be intimate, you've given yourself to this person now you need to hold on because you know to start over is going to be too hard too painful Mm -hmm. and you don't know if they're going to be somebody else and this is the not feeling worthy part Uh Mm -hmm. not feeling like there's going to be somebody else that loves you and values you values you right so i'm holding on to the healthy relationship Mm-hmm. So that was, I think, some of my pattern of behavior when it came to um, intimate relationships. And then even into my adulthood, that's my teenage years. I held on to him. And then finally, uh, we married and we divorced. But even in other um, going into adulthood, it was I really didn't let anybody else in. Yeah. When it came to me, it, I was super guarded, super guarded. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust you, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and as I got older, I began to um, grow in that area of opening up a little bit more and having other relationships. Um, But even then I can say um, they still probably weren't the healthiest. Right. Absolutely. And that is where, you know, you, you have to find your other resources and, um, you know, by us being Christian women, you start seeking God and, and leaning closer into him and praying and asking for discernment. And um, even when I know for me, at, at one point, I just, I became angry at God. I, I wanted nothing at all to do with that situation at all 
period. I was just upset because I just could not understand why, why me? Just why? And that, that was the question. Why me? I am so good to be doing this and that. And why, why, why is all this stuff happening to me? And, you know, I just, I would cry and cry and just, just that lonely feeling. And, you know, as I continue to grow and mature, um, you know, I, I did a lot of reflection and even on those days and those moments and those times when I felt alone and I thought that God just turned his back on me, what I realized is he was there every step of the way, um, just making sure that I'm safe and he's keeping me, putting people in my life, um, just even for those moments, seasons that, you know, helped me out. And in the midst of everything, you can't see it. But when you do take the time to have some type of reflection, you'll see that God is right there with you in those moments, keeping you. Uh, you know, like I said, when I was homeless with my kids, um, we, we slept up under a slide in the park in South St. Louis. And but we were safe. I, you know, would have a friend here and there that would, um, you know, let us sleep over or spend a night sometimes or make sure that, you know, the kids had something to eat. And, you know, there, there were moments, little nuggets in my life where God was like showing himself, like, see, I still got you. I still mm -hmm. got you. Um, and, it really just takes some growing and some growth and just knowing because you you know deep down. And I, I can remember I said, God, why why you let me suffer like this? And I, I just I heard the voice say, the anointed suffers the most, but you have a story to tell. And despite everything that's happened to me, I continue to move forward, I overcome, I continue to give myself, but I give in a healthy way now. And I I hold my head up high, no longer holding my head down and being ashamed. And just really learning how to accept me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is key. You have to learn how to accept who you are. And that's a journey. Mm-hmm. I think too, um, in learning to accept self, mm -hmm. I think um, for me, it has been a journey. But I tell you, when you said, um, you know, your relationship with God, I know for me, that was a huge shift for me when I began to have the relationship, not just go to church, but having an actual genuine relationship with God. Because I think at that point, that's when you learn and I learned to give God everything. Okay, Lord, he already knows, sees. And mm -hmm. it's that point where you're saying, okay, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. Here is my heart. I'm giving it to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I need you to just do a work because here are these feelings of resentment, abandonment. And when we talk about sexual abuse, 
Um, we're talking about feelings of fear. We're talking yeah. about feelings of resentment. I think we're talking about feelings of, yep. um, I said, loneliness, mm-hmm. also some anger. Um, there's a lot of emotions there that you can now give to God. And God has a way of when you give it to him, he loves us so much that he begins to orchestrate things on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you said is sending someone um, that you can be vul- that you can begin to be vulnerable with and speak your truth. Um, the other thing for me was even my church home. Mm-hmm. And this is true for me. Um, even my church home, having leaders that were in tune with the spirit to pray for me, to speak life to me, to speak the word of God to me mm-hmm. um, so that I'm hearing it, receiving it. And though that is another thing, I believe that even shifted some courses in my life. And then here he brought certain relationships because I'm going to tell you, if you're a listener, I think Sherry said it as well. When you begin to get to a place of sharing your story, there has to be some wisdom of who you share it with. Absolutely. Because she gave the example. I didn't share it, to be honest, with too many people. I shared it with my baby's father. He was the first person. Okay. Um, that I, I shared it with um because he was the one that was I was most connected to and began to feel comfortable opening up. I shared it with him. But even going into adulthood, I think it's learning um that everybody can't handle it. No. Everybody can't handle um your story. Everybody can't handle what you the impact of your story on you mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause people focus on the outward appearance, the outward behavior, mm-hmm. right? Even mm-hmm. in the Bible, it says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I, yeah. I think the physical appearance, but also that behavior, you know, mm-hmm. is focused on and judged without even knowing the why of a person. Absolutely. Because once you understand the why of a person, you, you can love, you can, you can mm-hmm. give love. Mm-hmm. So it's important if you're a listener who has experience, if you're a young girl who has experience, if you're a young boy, because it even happens to boys that has experienced some sexual abuse, have some wisdom into who you're sharing your story with mm-hmm. as well and pray about it. I would encourage you to have a moment of prayer and seek God on, you know, Lord, who can I begin to share this with and how can I begin to to share it. And we're going to talk a little bit, I think a little bit later on um, some ways that you can begin to share your story. If you want to share it with your family, if you want to share it with your mother, your father, um, if you want to begin to talk about it amongst your family, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, what are some Sherry for you when you talk about, um, we talked a little bit about the emotions Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about some of the behavior and choices and relationships mm-hmm. um, and some acting out and for me, completed guardedness. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think in other ways, can you say that it did impact your relationship um, with your family? Well, definitely with my family, it it definitely was that, that rift that, like I said earlier, not feeling like I am understood. Um, so I, I consider myself that black sheep misunderstood person. Mm-hmm. And just basically not having that 
comfort level of being able to express myself, um, to say what I needed to say, um, to just be free to be me. And so therefore that that's where, again, that acting out and that, that behavior comes and, um, and the more I did that, the angrier my mother, you know, appeared to be. And really it could have been hurt because as we all know, anger is that surface emotion, but then you have that core emotion up under it um, and just really not understanding. So it really, for me, um, I don't have that close connection with family as I would love to have, um, even still to this day. It could be better. It definitely can be um, better. And, and so it, it has a long time permanent effect on me because I won't attend family reunions. I don't do that. Um, just really... Even I remember as a child um, going to the family functions as I got older. So like into my teen years, I would find my way outside and go sit on a step <laughs> and not even be involved. Just really isolating myself, removing myself um, just from everybody because I just didn't feel like I belong. You know, it's that when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of need and one of those on that pyramid is, you know, that sense of belonging. Well, I didn't get that. Right. And if according to him, if we're going up this, this pyramid to get to self-actualization, um, you know, if you're stuck at one then that's where it is. So, you know, just relationship with family is an ongoing thing um, because I speak my truth but that doesn't mean that that's someone else's truth. And I think that's where things can get a little hung up. And when you are sharing your experience, it's because either that person is not ready to receive or get on the defense about something um, and, and simply just have their truth. And just knowing that you just have to pray on it um, and respect and validate feelings and, and keep it going. So that's what I've learned to do in my own personal circular family, my little nuclear family that I have for myself with my children. Um, I think it really, the, the whole experience that I've had, it's really made me more vigilant on how I share things with my daughter, um, things to be aware of, presenting myself to be really open so that she can feel comfortable uh, coming to me um, and, and just kind of recognizing um, some of those, those familiar signs and giving her that option of, you don't have to talk, you can write it down. Like I said earlier, play music, do whatever you need to do. And I think that um, for me, that's been um, somewhat beneficial. Not every child is the same. What worked for me is not necessarily going to work for my daughter, you know, at that age. But at least knowing that I give these options and I allow her to to vent and to say what she needs to say, um, it is beneficial. It's definitely beneficial. Um, and that's that's how I would like to continue to grow with her. Yeah. I think um, 
as far as me and my family, I think I was the same, very isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times that was my behavior because I think it, again, it goes back to learned behavior mm-hmm. and the learned behavior for me was you go internalize when you're going through, I was an only child and experienced sexual abuse. So I isolated a lot mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in some ways, probably still a little isolated from family. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have certain relationships with family. I would like it to be even better. That's something that I'm going to be intentional about working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely isolated me as well. And I think that's a great, another red flag for a parent out there. When you start to see your child isolating, not really wanting to engage with family and, and that's a normal thing for you all, then that mm-hmm. is an indicator that, okay, there may be something going on. Don't get me wrong. In that stages of development too, that teenage eight, that teenage years, um, it is a lot of them discovering themselves. But mm-hmm. when you notice that at functions, there's that huge isolation sh- struggle to connect, mm-hmm. then that is an indicator that something is going on. Um, the other thing that when we talk about interventions, um, I think you mentioned music. Mm-hmm. Um, music is absolutely a great intervention. Um, also, you know, as clinicians, one of a uh, huge tool that we use is journaling and writing. Mm-hmm. And um, Sherry's going to share a little bit of an intervention that we use as clinician, which is as the adult self writing to the younger you. And what that is, is basically giving the child you that love, nurturing, and support Mm -hmm. that you may not have received at the age that you needed it. So I'm going to go ahead and let you read your letter, Sherry, and then uh, we'll go from there. All right. So this is, as Robin said, the letter to my younger self. Um, And what I usually tell clients, um, they can write it at a specific age, Um, If you needed to hear something at the age of three and you felt like you didn't get it, you can write that letter geared towards yourself at three. If you feel like you didn't receive something at the age of 11 or 15, write that letter for that age. Um, For me, I did this letter just as a general younger self to myself. Um, And I started off with Dear Pooh. And Pooh is the nickname that I had for so many years. Um, my mom actually gave it to me. Um, she loved Winnie the Pooh. My bedroom was Winnie the Pooh when I was um, a baby. And so it just stuck with me. So I that's what I did. I did Dear Pooh because that was me as a little girl. So Dear Pooh, let me start with saying how much I love you. You are one amazing girl that have the potential to go so far in life. I'm here to apologize for those who have hurt you and not protected you when you needed it the most. I know you feel so misunderstood, and this is because God has created you to be so much more than what people can understand, and so they don't know how to accept your greatness. This is their problem, not yours, because you are perfect just the way you are. Never change for anyone because people will cherish the real you and never be ashamed of who you are despite the many horrible things you hear from others about you. They are just sad, 
and hurt people that hurt other people. This is not your problem to fix. Sherry, you will make some choices in your life that are not so great, but you will learn, grow, and overcome these obstacles. These decisions do not make you a bad person, so never speak poorly about yourself. Remember, you are perfect just the way you are. You have a pretty smile, you are funny, and you are smart. You are a precious girl with the whole world in front of you, and I am wrapping my arms around you right now, holding you tight just so you can feel my everlasting love for you. I will protect you and love you forever. God bless. Good job, friend. Good job. <laughs> so that is a great tool um, for someone, even in an, as an adult, because we're adults here, um, mm-hmm. that you need to begin that healing process. Absolutely. Of um, sexual abuse. I will, for young listeners out there, adult listeners, I will say there are even adults who are still dealing with the effects mm-hmm. of sexual abuse have still never shared um, with anyone. I will share that I recently, probably uh, around 38, 39 years old, God led me to share with my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to sharing with her, like I said, I shared with my daughter's father, we were teenagers and I shared with him. And I believe when I began to share with him, it allowed me to kind of open up and start sharing with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time I shared with my mother was about 38, 39. Um, and it was really, God led me to do it. I thought I would never, mm-hmm. ever tell this. And literally, it was almost like God was like, but I'm going to need you to talk about this later. So you're going to have to share this now. Mm-hmm. And I will, here's a tool for those of you who are out there that do want to begin to have this conversation with your family. One of the things that I utilized was a disclaimer. Mm-hmm. The disclaimer was, okay, mom, there's something I want to share with you, but I need you to know that I'm Okay. Right. I need you to know that I'm okay. You don't have to worry. I don't want you to feel bad. I am sharing this with you because it's something that I need to do for my own healing mm-hmm. and for where God is leading me. And I began to share it with her. And it actually was an amazing experience because we dialogued about her trauma and mm-hmm. we were able to just have some real discussion. Um, and I will say, I don't know if she left the conversation, cried, what not, or what the feelings were, but I will tell you, for what I needed in the moment, she was what I needed in the moment. And she held together for that moment. And so um, it began the healing process for me, mm-hmm. just to be open and start to share it, to even be where I am today. And me and my friend doing a podcast about sexual abuse, and it's been pricked in my spirit. Like, Lord, is like, this is something that I need to bring the attention to. Uh-huh. Um so if you are wanting to share with a family member, if you're young and you want to share with a parent, here's a great way. And that's just give that disclaimer. Mm-hmm. I also shared, if you're a parent, I shared with my daughter. Uh, she was somebody else I shared it with. I actually shared it with her before my mother or uh, my family because I wanted her to understand why I was protective, why I would tell her certain things. I like, know I don't think it's okay for you to go there or no, uh, you know, 
to understand I wasn't saying no just to say no. I was really saying no to be protective and having her understand, even with certain family members, I'm not comfortable with you going over there without uh, me or your father, your grandmother, someone connected with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by her even understanding my journey, she understood when I set certain boundaries for her growing up. So as a parent, it is good for you to share your story with your child even. Mm-hmm. So that you get a better understanding of you and the whys of you. And you guys can begin to break the cycle mm-hmm. um, even for them. I think that that is, that's huge. And I think that, it, you know, I just have to really commend you for that. Because one thing that sticks out for me is parents do not share their story. I think it, it goes back to, you know, they want to protect their children. So therefore... Um, they're not going to share that type of experience because you want your child protected. But if I tell you, don't do that, you just need to know I'm telling you not to do that because I'm your parent, but that doesn't work at all. Um, and so, you know, I've really encouraged clients just over the period of time that I've worked with them. Uh, you know, we, we always see our parents as parents, but they were people before they were parents. They have these experiences as well. Right. And I think it's right. so important for even as adults um, to really start having these conversations with children and our own parents so that we can see that we are people that have these experiences. And now I can understand why you're telling me not to do this and why this is not okay, because if we look at the developmental stages, I may, that's, that's not how my brain operates. It's still developing as I'm going through, you know, my younger years, adolescent years and things like that. Um, so we need to really focus in on really getting to know each other on a deeper level and understanding that when trauma has played a part in our life, then we get stunted emotionally at that age. So we continue to grow chronologically because we can't stop ourselves from doing that. But emotionally, we get stunted. And sometimes, guilty as charged as a parent, we respond in that same manner as that emotional stage. And that becomes unhealthy for the children that are still growing and developing as well. So just being... I'm mindful of that and in having those brave conversations and when you're sharing, making sure that you share um, appropriately, being mindful of your child and who they are and the age and what they can and can't receive. Um, So don't go in being vulgar with the information if you're talking to, you know, a young child about something. Make it age appropriate. And, And when I say age appropriate, I mean the whole picture. Because again, your child could be 11 years old, but emotionally seven or eight. So you need to be mindful of what, of how you share so that they can receive that message and that they can um, be as safe as possible. Yeah, because you don't want to provoke fear in them of everyone. Right. Um, so when you share certain things, you don't want to provoke, provoke fear um, mm-hmm. in them. But you are teaching them that um, 
now that we can have this conversation, there's more of a comfort level of coming to you and having the conversation. So for me, even with my daughter, you know, of course, um, it was probably in her adolescent years where I began to share bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what happened to me. Um, I didn't share who at that time, but even right. as she got older, um, probably 15, 16, I began to say, and it was by a family member and I began to give more information as she got older today, mm-hmm. she's 23 years old. She knows the full in the story raw and real. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one that she's able to handle handle. And it really gave, it gives clarity and it just builds the connection to with your child, especially us mothers and our daughters, right? I think even fathers to sons need to have certain conversations as well. If a man Mm -hmm. has experienced it, share it with your child, share it with your son and say, yo, hey, I went through this and, um, and I want you to feel comfortable telling me and telling me who you don't feel comfortable being around. Mm -hmm. So now we're having some real raw and authentic conversations with our children. And as we are doing that, we are breaking generational cycles. You would be surprised how many times I hear, and it happened to me. I remember I shared this with another family member one time. Response that I got really, um, it kind of shocked me. Um, The response was, yeah, I mean, it happened to me too. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was like, a, but you, you, you keep living. And here's the thing. It doesn't mean that um, you don't keep moving forward. You don't keep living life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, tra- trauma, um, anything impacts people differently. Right. So you also want to be empathetic for if, if maybe you're over it, maybe you've moved past it because Mm -hmm. I do know some people, it's like, it really, it happened. It didn't have any effects on me. Mm -hmm. Um, They got some additional love and nurturing that supported them through. So they dealt with it at that time, Mm -hmm. but be empathetic to someone that is still going through it or still healing and still, um, you know, in that healing journey, be empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, because that could be the very thing that shuts someone else down um, from being able to be open and share share their story with someone else. Um, so because of time, this was a, a very, very long po- podcast, um, probably one of the longest. Mm-hmm. So if you're still with us, thank you for listening. I think yes. um, let's talk about what we want to end with. I will say this is probably not the last time we're going to have this conversation because there's still so many other factors that connect with when you've been sexually abused mm-hmm. um but what do you want to leave the listeners with um right now sherry i would love to leave my listeners with be loved be blessed you are strong remember when you share your story that is called everyday courage you are courageous and you are perfect just the way you are because God don't make no junk. I love that. God don't make no junk. <laughs> I love it. He does not. And sometimes we can feel that way because of our experiences. Absolutely. Um, but know that you are worthy. I think I would leave you with if you are a young person who's experiencing sexual abuse now, I would say, please, as difficult as it may be say something start having the conversation with somebody about what you're experiencing um say something it has lifelong effect 
if you have experienced it and you're an adult or um, it was in your past and you're holding it in, share your story. Share your story. Talk about it. Bring it up in discussion. Um, Even though identify how it is impacting you or how it may have impacted your life. Um, Mm -hmm. Get you a therapist. Yeah. Um, get you a sister friend that mm-hmm. you can process with who can understand and you can be completely honest with um, start writing start journaling um, yes. some way to get what's internal out because mm-hmm. we can carry that thing like some weights on our back if we Absolutely. allow you know if we allow it to be so mm-hmm. thank you for listening thank you for joining us thank you thank, thank you, you everyone please return to our next episode next week. Um, we'll be talking probably a little bit more about trauma, sexual abuse, domestic violence. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're going to touch on this in the next episode again, but thank mm-hmm. you for listening. We know it was a long episode, but we appreciate you. Absolutely. Bye. Bye.